Well, if you're not familiar with uh, speaking in tongues, uh, you just got a sampling of uh, a small sampling of what that is, what it looks like, what it sounds like. My intent is not at all to mock or to make fun, uh, but to make you aware. And as a result, to help you to be informed of, of what speaking in tongues um, looks like, sounds like. You may think that this only pictures the extreme side of the tongues movement, um, and it is extreme, especially for those in our circles, but um, those who are more knowledgeable than I, who study what's going on in our culture today, would tell you that it is extreme, but it's also mainstream. That is mainstream in the tongues movement. For those who grew up at Heritage or in a church like ours, what you just saw seems like it's out there. Uh, really strange. It may even scare you. Uh, for others, it may be familiar because maybe you grew up at one time were involved in a church where that was a regular occurrence and uh, speaking in tongues was not an unusual or strange thing for you to experience. But my concern for you today is I, I need to ask you, whatever your position is on speaking in tongues, can you support that position by truth from the Bible, the Word of God? Can you open the Word of God and talk with people and, and support whatever it is your position is on this whole business of speaking in tongues. And that is critical. We need to know from the Bible, from God's Word, what this phenomena is all about, whether it's for today, how does it work, what's involved. Remember, as we're studying 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, that Paul is dealing with Corrective instruction. He's giving corrective instruction to the church in Corinth about spiritual gifts and their use in the church. Um, speaking in tongues was, is a spiritual gift that was being abused in the church in Corinth. And as a result, created a great amount of division. And uh, we've talked about that. The first four chapters deal with division and disunity. And it continues on in various other reasons throughout the book of Corinthians and Paul's letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 17, which Paul really begins talking about uh, the meeting of the church together, the gathering of the people in a public meeting, a public gathering Paul says this in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Now, Paul was moved right into talking about the abuse of the Lord's Supper, communion at that point. But as he continues on through the rest of chapter 11 and deals with the communion, gets in chapters 12, 13, and 14, he's still talking about the public meeting of God's people together, even as he talks about spiritual gifts and so it's important that we understand even this the in your meetings you do more harm than good because that was a problem we'll see today in 
1 Corinthians chapter 14. And 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is the only chapter in the entire Bible, in the entire New Testament, that gives instructions for speaking in tongues. The only chapter, the whole Bible, that gives instructions for speaking in tongues. And we're going to take a look at that today. Because I want you to be informed about the boundaries the Bible gives for speaking in tongues so that you're not distracted by really that issue and get off of what Paul really is attempting to say in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. So please open your Bibles with me if you haven't already to chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible underneath the chair in front of you, somewhere close should be one and a Bible that you can use, page 800 in that Bible. Feel free to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 there, or of course follow along in your phone or tablet or whatever you uh, have your copy of the Word of God in. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we begin as we started last week. Verse 1, Paul says, uh, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, he was following up on chapter 13, as we call the love chapter, and he moved right there, verse 1, as he says, follow the way of love, eagerly desire um, the gifts of the Spirit. He's saying pursue love. Don't forget that. That's what Paul is stressing, pursuing love the showing of love and the exercise of spiritual gifts, of all the gifts, whether it be prophecy or tongues or healing or serving or giving or whatever else it may be at that point. But he says, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. That's critical. He's talking about the need for us to pursue the use of gifts. God distributes those gifts. We saw that already. We saw that in chapter 12 and verse 4 and verse 11 when Paul says that the Holy Spirit is the one who distributes those gifts to each one of us who know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you won't have that special God-given ability for service. But if you are a believer, if you have a follower of Christ and know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have at least one special, divine, God-given, supernatural power to serve Him. And it's the Holy Spirit who has distributed that according to His own will. So Paul is saying, pursue those gifts, but he's saying it to the church. He's saying that not just the individuals, us who make up the body, but he's saying a church as a whole, pursue those gifts, especially prophecy, desire them in your midst. So if you're going to speak in tongues, it's kind of the title that I've put together. If you're going to speak in tongues, you must understand the purpose. Number one, you must understand the purpose. And verses 20 to 25 explain that for us. And we must never forget when we're considering the purpose of spiritual gifts or tongues in general, which tongues is a spiritual gift, that no spiritual gift was ever given for just the benefit of ourselves. That's not what it's about. We read that over and over and over again in Scripture. Spiritual gifts are always about 
building up the church, edifying the church. We've looked at that word last couple of weeks. And, and uh, we, it's, it's about strengthening the church. It's about promoting spiritual growth within the church. That is, part, that is the purpose of spiritual gifts. That must take place when spiritual gifts are being used. God never gave any spiritual gift for self-promotion, for self-benefit, for self-gain. It's like giving the gift of giving. If you have the gift of giving, it's not so that you can go out and buy your favorite car brand new every year. Or so that you can buy that dream home. That's not why God intended to benefit you. It is to benefit the church for the common good. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. That's what Paul's talking about. So no gift is ever given for personal benefit. It's critical that we understand that. Now, some may look at some verses that would indicate that differently in chapter 14, who would say, well, he talks about self-edification, so it must be okay. No, I think that's more in a sarcastic way. He's making his point, but that's a, even if it, if it was right there in chapter 14, we'll see that, that there's different perspectives on that. That's not a clear example of self-benefit, but what we do know is where it is really clear that God did give spiritual gifts only for the building up of the church, and anything else is, is wrong, is off base. We need to understand that if we're going to move forward. Paul said that in, in throughout chapter 14. We looked at it last week, chapter, or verses 4, 5, 11, uh, 12, 17, 19. And here in, in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you can look at it right in your text, but since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Not you as an individual. Building up the church. That's what Paul says. Promoting the spiritual growth within the body of believers. Spiritual gifts really are about making more people more like Jesus. You say, well, you're just sque squeezing that in. No, no, no. If you'll study the whole concept here in these three chapters and elsewhere in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4, you'll find out that it really is about the spiritual growth of those who know Jesus. That's our mission. More people, more like Jesus. That's the point. Now, Paul quotes... As we look here at uh, verse 20, Paul starts by saying, he's saying, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children in regard, stop thinking like children. He's talking about as it relates to the gift of tongues. He's, you, you got to grow up. He says, in regard to evil, be infants, be naive, be innocent, don't know that, don't understand that. But then he says, but in your thinking, be adults, you're thinking about tongues. That's the context if you move on. And then he gets into verse 21, and he says, in the law, he's talking about the Old Testament, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says, says the Lord. Now there's a lot of great 
Old Testament truth here. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12, and, 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 and he's building that up. He's pointing that out because at that point in history, Isaiah was challenging the nation of Israel, was saying to them, you are disobeying God. You are not following what God told you to do. And the leaders of Israel began to mock. And you could go back in Isaiah 28 and, 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 and watch that, read that. And, and, as, and as they did that, God said, okay, so by, as he says, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I'll speak to this people. But even then, they won't listen. What are the, what's the lips of foreigners? He's talking about the Syrian invasion of Israel. When the Assyrian army came in to be used by God to judge the rebellion of Israel. Now, that's what he's saying. That's what he's talking about. And those, they would be speaking a language, the Assyrian language, that the Jews would not hear. They would not understand. They wouldn't know it. Why? Because it was the enemy coming in to destroy the nation of Israel. Ultimately, Jerusalem. That happened at about 70 AD. And uh, as we think about that, God was using that, and he's saying that judgment was to come through an unknown tongue or language. Now, then he says, verse 22, and he ties this all together, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. That's the purpose of tongues, a sign for unbelievers. And you may never have heard that before. You may have thought when all of this talk about the use of tongues in churches, we saw uh, in that video, those were churches that were doing that, that it was about the building up of that church, a building up of the individual, people pray in tongues. Here it is right here, clear as day. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. If we would go back to Acts chapter 2, we looked last week. I'm not going to do that right now. And, and see how the church began. And when the, 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 the apostles spoke in tongues and all of the Jews that had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost heard them speaking languages that they knew from their all over the then known world, all over the Roman Empire at that time. And the gift of tongues happened. It was to gain the attention of those Jews. And then, of course, at that time, Peter goes on and he preaches. He starts preaching and he says to them, fellow Jews, men of Israel, I'm talking to you. And he gets down through and he presents the gospel. He says, you put Jesus on the cross. You thought you would murder him, get rid of him, but God raised him from the dead and God did that to provide forgiveness of sin and salvation for those who would believe. And he says at the end of chapter two, repent, turn to Jesus. And when you do, then be baptized as, a, as an acknowledgement of your faith in Jesus Christ and 3,000 people who started out there as unbelievers, hearing the gift of hearing tongues spoken, came to know Jesus Christ. That day, the church began. Tongues are a sign for unbelievers so they can hear the gospel. And, and that's the use that we'd see as we study through Scripture. 
1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 22, as he says that, he says, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Verse 23, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Now, you might read that through and say, wait a minute, that, that sounds like a contradiction. Paul in verse 22 said that tongues are a sign for unbelievers, not believers, for unbelievers. But then Paul says, but if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers, both those words meaning people who don't know Jesus, who aren't familiar or who have rejected Jesus, he said, and, and, and if they come in, Will they not say that you're out of your mind? Now think with me. He's not saying that they were doing that for unbelievers or people who were inquiring of the gospel. He was saying if you're meeting and people who don't know Jesus come into your midst and hear people speaking in tongues, what's their response going to be? You people are nuts. <laughs> That's what he says. I'm not making that right. You're out of your mind. You guys are weird. I'm out of here. He said, well, wait a minute, but I thought it was to be used for unbelievers. Well, let me say what's happening there is Paul is illustrating the wrong use of tongues. It is not to be done like that in the meeting of a church. So that when in that meeting, there happened to be unbelievers there. See, that's an, that's an interesting concept to study, follow through. But uh, we typically, and, and we, we typically sometimes get into this philosophical discussion, is church for the believer or the unbeliever? Well, that's the wrong question. Church is not for either. Church is the believers. It is not for the believers. It is the believers, okay? It's critical that we get that. But that doesn't mean that when we are gathered together as a body of those who know Jesus, that people who don't know Jesus, it's the bad thing for them to wander in or just intentionally come and sit down. So if you invite somebody who doesn't know Jesus to be here on a Sunday morning, and if we were speaking in tongues, they go, you guys are out of your mind. I'm this, I'm never coming back here. Because that's not the intent. He says, he goes on and he talks about prophecy. Verse 24, but if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So if the unbeliever or inquirer, again, people who don't know Jesus come into your service, come into this service, which, yes, is made up of primarily the believers, those who know Jesus, those who put their faith and trust in the, in the Savior Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead, proving he was the Savior, the forgiver of sin. If they come in, unbelievers come in, and the church is speaking in prophecy, he doesn't say, that's the point. In other words, we just say, wait a minute, if unbelievers come in, I thought, I thought that, that sounds like a contradiction too, because Paul just got done saying that prophecy is for believers, not unbelievers. He's saying, if again, in the midst of your gathering together as believers, an unsaved person comes in and hears prophecy, 
What's going to happen? They are convicted of sin, verse 24, and are brought under judgment, verse 25, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, exclaiming, God is really among you. Even though prophecy wasn't intended for that believer because it was in the midst of a, a church full of people who know Jesus, they can still hear the truth and they can still be convicted of their sin and they can still fall before God and worship him, which is an indication that salvation has happened. There's no way an unsaved person can worship God. Why? Because they hear the truth that's intelligible. He's not saying, this is not a contradiction that the purpose of prophecy was for unbelievers when he just said it wasn't. He's just saying if they came in a group of believers who were prophesying, they could still hear truth, still be convicted of their sin, and still get saved. Not so with tongue speaking. They'd say you're out of your mind and they'd be out of here. Now, the purpose of tongues then is for the unbelievers to show the power of God in the midst of an opportunity. Even in its unintended use, prophecy is better than tongues. That's what Paul is saying. So the purpose, understand the purpose, always for the church to build up the church, but always, as Paul says, a sign for unbelievers so that the gospel as they hear that message is affirmed as truth in their hearts and minds. Secondly, so if you're going to speak in tongues and even in the text now we'll see prophecy, verses 26 to 40, you must understand the boundaries. Boundaries are important. Boundaries are like guardrails. Um, the, f the first night that I ever went out on a drive-along as the chaplain for our Clark Summit Police Department, um, the guy I was with drove me all around the borders of Clark Summit. All right? And you may say, well, you didn't know that? Well, I wonder if you live in Clark Summit, how many of us really do know? I was like, wait a minute, this is the border? It's like, wow. So uh, it was important that we know the borders, where they are, because we function within Clark Summit and Clark's Green, not South Abington Township. That's a different police department, right? Not in Waverly or Dalton. That's a different police department. But the borders, the boundaries of Clark Summit, because within those boundaries is where we function. It's like the guardrails on a highway. When you're, those guardrails protect you. They keep you on the road. They keep you moving in the right direction where you need to be. Well, that's what boundaries do. And, and it's important that uh, we understand God has laid out guardrails, boundaries for us in Scripture for how we live our lives and certainly here for the use of spiritual gifts. So he does that in verses 26 to 40. And I'm just going to walk down through here quickly and you can underline them or write them down however you want, but here are some boundaries. Number one, in verse 26, boundaries is, and again, we've said this already, it must build up or edify the church. Paul says that in verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together? 
Again, he continues on, the meeting of the church, the body of believers together. When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation, and it's important that both are there, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. We've said enough about that, but that is boundary number one that the church may be built up. He doesn't talk about the individual, the church. Number two, he says, verse 27, uh, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak. The video that I showed you to begin with, and again, no intent to mock or make fun, but those people have not read verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Two or at the most three. There was a whole lot more than that, right? Number three, verse 27, he goes on and he says, um, one at a time. Everybody was speaking together. One at a time. These are the boundaries, the guardrails that Paul has set up in Scripture. One at a time. Number four. The rest of verse 27, one at a time, and someone must interpret. I'm not going to say there wasn't an interpreter on hand in any of those illustrations of the video that we saw, but it it sure didn't make himself known. It was all about speaking in tongues, learning to speak in tongues. And, and, And Paul is saying, three at the most, one at a time, and there must be an interpreter. And, and, and look what he says. If there is, verse 28, if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and the God. Keep quiet. No interpreter? Stop. Sit down. That's what Paul is saying. All right? Number five, he goes on. Now he's talking about prophecy. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And that's, that's really the emphasis of these next number of verses down to verse 33. He's talking about the importance of evaluating if what was said was really a, a direct revelation from God. That's what we said last week. Prophecy is a direct revelation from God. And, and so is what was said really a prophecy? And those that are there must weigh carefully what is said they must determine they must evaluate an interpretation of that prophecy was this a god-given special ability for serving in pronouncing direct revelation from god and then he also talks about and i'll mention that again but he says verse 32 the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophecy he's talking about maintaining emotional control and then he says Um, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Boundary number six, women should not evaluate prophecies in the church. This verse has been the cause of a lot of misunderstanding, misinterpretation, because women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says, again, the Old Testament, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is a disgrace for a woman to speak in the church. Now, 
This is not just literally, I don't believe. Now, there are different perspectives on this and what it means. Some would take it literally, that women are just simply not ever to speak in the church. I don't believe that's what Paul is teaching. Because if we would go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 5, we would find out that Paul already said when he was talking about head coverings, he said that every woman who prays or prophesies with her head covering, and he was talking about in a gathering of God's people, dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. The issue here is not whether or not they should speak. It's that when they do pray or prophesy, her head is covered. So what was assumed? That she was praying or prophesying in the meeting of the church. And Paul is saying, that's fine, that's not the issue, it's whether or not she's doing it with her head covered. So he already is allowing it there, and then we get to chapter 14 and we say, a woman is not to speak in the church, she's to be silent. As we understand that, there's no way that that could mean no word whatsoever. Now what I believe as we go through in the context of what Paul is saying, he just got done talking about evaluating, weighing carefully what was said by those who are determining whether or not prophecy was legitimate. And I think that's what is at stake here. I think it's an issue of authority. And if you want to write down, we a couple of years ago preached through 1 Timothy. We got to chapter 2 and talked about there. It talks about this issue of women teaching or not taking authority over the man in the church. And I think that's what's involved here. And so when Paul's saying that, I believe he's saying they shouldn't be the ones to speak as in evaluating whether or not a prophecy is of God or not. Is that help study through the context and I think that's the one to me that makes the most sense it is not just simple don't make be silent never speak a word go home and ask your husband and it was the men who were to weigh not every man because not every man would know but the ones who are able to do the interpretation of prophecy of prophecy and determine if that in fact was a gift of God or a word from God or not he's saying the women were not to be involved they should keep quiet that's what he's talking about I believe when he says that in verse 34 number seven don't ignore these boundaries verses 36 37 and 38 Paul says he's he's really getting a little sarcastic he says well, or did the word of God originate with you? You know, it's kind of like one of those rhetorical questions. Of course it didn't. It didn't start with you. He's, he goes on, he says, or are you the only people it has reached? Has the word of God only come to Corinth and stopped there? It came here first and never went anywhere else? Of course not. And then he says this, verse 35, if it, uh, or verse 37, if anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. What I'm saying to you is God's truth. Live by it. If you're really walking in the Spirit is what he's saying. If you're a prophet, you've been moved by the Spirit of God here. He said, you acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. This is the way it is. We better do it. And then he says, verse 38, if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. Wow, Paul, 
whoo. But he's not playing around. He knows he's an apostle. He knows he's a prophet of God who's delivering direct revelation from God. And he's saying, if you think you're spiritual and you're rejecting this, we're ignoring you because you obviously are not of God. Because Paul was of God. And declaring the truth of God. And he's saying, if you reject that truth, then we're going to ignore you. Because you're not of God. Number eight, verse 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Now, that would assume all of the boundaries that Paul has already given. You see, Paul wasn't against tongues. Paul was against the abuse of speaking in tongues that was happening in the church, that was dividing the church, that was for self-benefit, that was for self-attention, that was drawing everybody's eyes and ears and everything else to, to an individual who was speaking in tongues. When, in fact, as we already saw in Scripture, though, the, though many of them thought they, all, they should all have the gift of tongues, as is true today, we know it's a spiritual gift and therefore not every believer can have that gift. Even if we believed or I believed that it was for today, not everybody could speak in tongues because not everybody would have that gift. And so as we understand that, Paul says, so don't forget speaking in tongues, but make sure if you're going to do it, you follow these boundaries. It's critical that we understand. And then number nine, Verse 40, and actually you could go back to verse 33, which I read earlier is about prophesying. He said that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Verse 40, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. You would know that probably the King James mostly. Decent and in order, right? Decent and in order. That is to be what characterizes that church meeting. Not chaos. Not what you saw on the video. And so you say, well, okay, so what, what's the conclusion? That's not really our problem here at Heritage. We have not too often or maybe ever had anybody desire to, to stand up and speak in tongues and, and do any of that, I, at least not in my 28 years here at Heritage. So, so what does all this mean? Well, I want to simply say to you this morning, don't get distracted. You see, many times we miss what Paul's saying because we get all hung up on this whole business of, well, when did tongues cease? Did tongues cease? Are they for today or have they stopped functioning is it is it no longer to be used by the church and and how do, how do we do that how do we come to answer all those questions and we argue our point and many times if we haven't studied scripture we're arguing emotionally we're arguing with a presupposition already in mind that they have ceased and it whatever position we do that with arguments right whatever you believe you argue from that position and, and so the whole point is we miss the point that Paul is trying to make. He's trying to say, as we look at chapters 12, 13, and 14, God has gifted each of us to serve. We've been enabled to serve. 
It's important that we then serve. And primarily, we do it with love, chapter 13. That's what he's saying. We must love people. That's his whole point is because the church was struggling. The church of Corinth was in trouble. We must love people. Secondly, we've got to use that gift. It's important that we use the gift. And now, when we talk about using your gift, we're assuming that you know what your gift is. Now, there's a lot of ways you can learn what that gift is. There are surveys and tests that you can fill out and complete that will help you to do that. But folks, that can be helpful. I think the best way to know what your gift is, and I said this last week, is to get busy and serve. You just start serving. You say, well, I'm not sure where. Well, just jump in when there's a need. You respond. Well, I'll pray about it. Can I just say, folks, that most of the time when that's our answer, that's baloney. You know why it's baloney? Because my question would be to you, what do you mean when you say, I'll I'll pray about it? Really, many times we have our mind already made up And we just know that that will put people off for a little while. And then we can come back and say, no, I prayed about it. And I'm not saying you didn't pray about it. But my question is always, how do you know when God would say yes or no? Well, I I just feel it. Many times it just boils down to one thing. I don't want to do it. So I say I pray about it when I've already in my mind decided I don't want to do it, so the answer is no. Now that's another whole discussion. But I think you know what I'm talking about. Yes, we should pray about what we do. But you know what I also believe? I believe that when you're walking with God on a daily basis, when you're, when you're in the Word, when, you, when you're in tune with where God is in your life, you know what? As it relates to the will of God, there's times when you don't have to pray about it. You just say, you know what? I'm walking with God. I'm, I'm saved. I'm, I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm, I'm submission, in submission to authority in my life, and, and I'm living my, way, my life the way God would intend me to do. I, I'm going to do what God's put in my heart, and I'm going to serve, or whatever it may be. Sometimes you just know. You don't have to pray about it. Think that through as it relates to knowing the will of God in your life. Again, don't, don't hear me say, oh, our pastor said we don't have to pray about what God wants us to do. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying many times you already know what God wants you to do and praying is just a way to buy some time before you say no. Think that went through. Thirdly, we just build up the church. We've talked about that. Promote the spiritual growth. Use the ability that God has given you to help more people become more like Jesus. And lastly, know the truth. You say, what do we do? Don't get distracted by when did tongue cease? Did tongue cease? How come some people practice it and think it's great? How, how, I'm told I can't be spiritually mature if I don't speak in tongues. I won't be filled with the Spirit if I don't speak in tongues. I won't be baptized by the Spirit if I don't speak in tongues. Do you know what the Bible says? Have you studied the Word of God? Have you dug into it to see what, in fact, the Bible says about 
tongues. We know a lot about a lot, don't we? I mean, if I was to ask you, some of you could give me weather reports for the next month for every city in the country. Uh, we, we know a lot about politics. We learn a lot on the Internet. We learn a lot about people from Facebook. We know a lot about sports facts and trivia because we watch the ESPN app on a regular basis. We know a lot about the economy. We study, we listen, we watch Fox News or CNN or whoever, and we know what the latest politics. Folks, we spend a lot of time gaining a whole lot of knowledge about a whole lot of things, and my question is, how much time do we spend gaining knowledge about God's Word? And that's just part of it. Because once we have that knowledge, and I think we have a church full of people who have a lot of knowledge, it is critical that we obey, that we do. That's what James says. Don't just be hearers, or we would in our context say readers of the word. He says, be doers. And as it relates to all of these biblical truths that we're talking about in spiritual gifts, God has given us It's time for us to say, I know where I am before God. I know that God has given me an ability to serve and to build up the church, and I am going to do that. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Oh, the hearing gets you the knowledge. The hearing tells us what to do, but many times we stop before we get to the do. You've heard me say many times, that's the difference in the wise man and the foolish man. They both knew the same information. The fool did nothing with it. The wise man was wise because he did something with what he heard. He obeyed what he had been told. That's the point of Jesus. That's the point of the Word of God. You know it, but you do it. Folks, we're distracted by so much in this day and age. This last 18 months, I don't have to tell you, we've been distracted by COVID and by vaccines and by masks and by politics and by the economy and and by all kinds of stuff. I'm not saying that's not important, but folks, what it has done, it has distracted us from being about loving God's people It is distracted from us using the gifts of the Spirit that He's given to us. It it has taken us away from our concern to build up the church. I just read another article the other day. Church attendance all across our country is way down. For whatever reason. And God has called us to know what we believe, and obey. Don't get all hung up in things that don't matter for eternity. Know the truth and do it. God, thank you for your word. God, for the spelling out of the purpose of our lives on this earth spelling out for us, giving us guardrails, giving us boundaries for how to use the special God-given abilities for serving you and the church.
Oh God, help us to obey you. Help us to know the word and do it. For the glory of God. To make more people more like Jesus. For those who don't know Jesus, who may be here today, oh God, would you help them to see that without Jesus Christ in their life, their sin will send them to an eternal hell one day. But God loved us all so much that he sent Jesus to die so that our sin could be forgiven. God, drive that truth home today to anyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we who know him would live out loud and clear the glory of God. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.